Hey, happy Easter, everybody. You all, you all look really good, and so do I. No, it's good to um, be here. Uh, yeah, well, the, uh, when I get finished up here, which is it's, it's about 20 minutes, so just time if you want, but uh, just go like this, you know. Uh, we're going to have a time for prayer in the back for anybody who would like that. And there may be any reason for that in, y- in your life. I went back. I'm going to Jerusalem today, Pastor Sharon and I and, and others. And uh, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, you're trying to get rid of me, huh? I can tell. But I asked for prayer for that. So, but this time of year is, or this uh, day is, a, you know, the, the flowers here that represents memories and thoughts of others. Or there's just something heavy in your life. Or God speaks to you this morning. He does that. On Easter, particularly, I've noticed that. So consider that uh, as as uh, we we get a little further on in the service. Well, uh, what John does in this gospel, as you, it was read for us, he says at the end of that reading that he could have written all kinds of things about Jesus that were miraculous or great stories that others should hear. But he chose these particular stories, and he says this right after he talks about this story of doubt, because he knows that people would struggle with doubt. He knows you. He knows the human heart. He knew, he knew my heart in this way. And um, so, uh, and all the disciples really struggled with doubt. That first Easter, as it was read for us, that took them a while. First, the women got it. Can you believe that? <laughs> You're supposed to laugh. Come on. The women got it. The men were really slow to come around. And then they finally, yeah, yeah, there's one right there. And then by the end of that day, though, they were gathered together in a room, and uh, all of them were gathered except for one guy. And that's where we're going to focus this morning. His name is Thomas. And then they, but they all experienced uh, Christ in fullness of the resurrection there that night, except for Thomas. So I want to say, before we get started, I want to say a few good words about doubt. Can we, let's hear it for doubt, because it is a friend to us to get through this life. You could not get through this life in one whole piece without doubt in your life. When, have you noticed there are people that want to hurt you in this life? There are evil people in this life. There are viruses in this life. There are things that, unless you have doubt, you will not be able to navigate well. And one of the great tricks of parenting that we're going to explore in that series that Pastor Sharon talked about is how do you how do you pass on that that um, that good uh, that ability that skill to navigate life and know who to trust and who not to trust and the Proverbs helps us with that. But um, when I was eight years old, uh, this memory you know it sticks in my mind. My uncle, who was uh, you know he's a good uncle and all, but he he promised me that he would take me to a baseball game. This is before the Mariners. Before the pilots, if anybody remembers the pilots, the one-year wonder, uh, yeah. But the team before that was called the Rainiers, and they were a Triple A team. And he was going to. He knew. He said he knew some of the ballplayers. I don't really know if he did or not. But he he told me he was going to take me to the game, and then he didn't. And then you know when I was nine, he came back and told me he was going, and he didn't. And so I learned to doubt this adult. And I learned that adults cannot always be trusted. <laughs> and I rolled my eyes when he said the next time I'm going to take you to a game. He never, you know, you just learn to adjust. And you do that so you don't get hurt if you fall in. Nobody wants to wear the t-shirt that says, I am really gullible, right? Am I right? So doubt is that uh, gift from God that helps us to navigate this fallen world. We're going to look at uh, Thomas this morning and how he 
or why he doubts, and then how he comes back around to faith. And I think, I think uh, it, there's a story there. I know, not everybody takes the same story to faith, but definitely a lot of people find themselves in this guy named Thomas. All right, so uh, it's early Easter morning. Where the story was read for us. The women go out to the tomb. They, they find it empty. They tell the men. The men don't quite believe them. There's rumors. There's confusion. But by the end of that day, they're in this room together. Jesus shows up, his hands with the wounds and his side with the, the wound. And he, he says, you know, here I am. Believe, believe in me. And uh, they do except for Thomas. He wasn't there. Why wasn't he he there? Let's read from verse 24. Now, Thomas, who is called Didymus, Didymus is uh, the Greek word for twin. It's his nickname. And it's a nickname that apparently didn't stick because we know him as what? As Doubting Thomas, which may not be totally fair when we get to the end, but that's how we know him. And, And he was one of the 12, and he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So, uh, that, that previous uh, Sunday night, uh, Easter day. Um, why wasn't he there? I want to give you a little bit of composite sketch, uh, with, and some of this is using my imagination, which is fallible, but I think, I've, I think I'm onto some things here that, that are maybe true. And, and so uh, Thomas wasn't there. He was the only one that wasn't there. And we know a few things about Thomas from kind of a character sketch from earlier in the story. In chapter 11 of John, uh, Jesus is in um, an area that they had just been in Jerusalem, in the Jerusalem area, and there's a town there named Bethany, and uh, Jesus has friends there, and one guy in particular named Lazarus, good friend, and he hears that Lazarus is sick, and they, uh, so he says, we, we need to go back, and my friend Lazarus is sick, and the disciples say, Lord, you, we were just there, and you almost got killed, and why do you want to go back there? And then he explains to them that they have to go back there, and Jesus implies that there's something that he wants them to learn as they go back there. And then Thomas speaks up, and he says, and kind of a, he's kind of a melancholy, he says, well, we might as well go die with him. <laughs> he's, he's the Eeyore in the story. Uh, Puddle Glum, if you know that, the Narnia story, he's, he's got a, a melancholy spirit. And some of us have melancholy spirits, and that's okay. Uh, and then we learn that he is, if you're into the Myers-Briggs types, and uh, some of you are really into that, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to give you a definition of an, the S. So there's these different combinations, and none of them are good or bad, They're just, we're just different. And the S is somebody who needs a lot of evidence to see if something is true or not. You need concrete, visible evidence. And you can be an extreme S, and that's probably who Thomas was, probably. He needed more evidence than the others. And that, even that wanting uh, d- didn't lead him to be there that night when the others were there. It was, he, he for whatever reason, didn't show up that night. And if he had, he showed up, he would have gotten his evidence, but he didn't even... Now, so the opposite of the S is an N, and that means it's intuitive. And I happen to be an N, a pretty strong N, and that doesn't mean I'm always right about things, but I sure have strong opinions about, you know, what I think, right? And some of you are Ns, and you figure things out maybe uh, before others, but your batting average on being right isn't always good either. So be careful. We need the Ss to keep us in line. So uh, Thomas was probably an S, but maybe more importantly, he was probably an introvert. Let's hear it for the introverts. Those are the extroverts. Let's hear it from the introverts. <laughs> Silence, right? Silence, yeah. Well, he, uh, he, he needed maybe, you know, all these guys are gathered, and he needed some me time. 
if you're a mom with little kids, you know what I'm talking about, with me time, right? And he just needed some time by himself where he could sort things out. This would have been an emotional roller coaster, watching Jesus die on Friday and then hearing these rumors and what do you do with all that and the feelings and not wanting to get his hopes up again and you know, the, whole, the whole gullibility factor. And if you're an introvert, to be, uh, I mean, the, the, worst thing, the worst fear of every introvert is to be exposed in front of other people, right? By the way, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. So here I am, right, in front of other people. And uh, I'm hoping I say the right thing. I mean, I, I understand that feeling. So uh, to be gullible, and our pride gets wrapped around that we're gullible. We don't want to be seen, you know, that, that hurts too. Hey, but look at that bear out there. Some of you looked. I got it. You were gullible. You wear the badge now. And it doesn't feel good, does it? I'm sorry to embarrass you, but uh, the first service, everybody looked, you know. I got, I, I'll share this. Patty uh, probably don't, won't like this, but I, I didn't share this in the first service. But the first 10 years or so of our marriage, uh, I did this. I was, I was really basically stuck in junior high. And uh, in junior high, our, our, my best friends and I, we would always do this thing. Hey, what's that? You know, the, and I did that to her. Isn't that terrible for a husband to do? Yeah, just, you know, I know. <sighs> anyway, I do it now. I can't trick her anymore. She is, she is on to me. And uh, I tried it last week and it didn't work. So uh, you see, we, we learn to doubt. That's a good thing. And Thomas has learned to doubt. We have eyewitnesses here that we need to explain and uh, see how that all works into the story because these other guys, they're not content to let Thomas just sit out here on the side. And the other, the other uh, actually 10 disciples at this point because Judas bailed out. Uh, so there's 10 plus the one uh, is Thomas. So the other disciples told him and the, the word here in the original language is they kept telling him. So it's, it's a continual, we're gonna tell you more than once kind of a deal. We have seen the Lord. They kept telling him that. And he said in response, unless I see nail marks in his hands, in the Lord's hands, and put my finger where the nails were, uh, and my hand into his side, I will not believe it. So what Thomas has to go on is their word for it. They're the eyewitnesses. He is not. And in in some sense, it's not fair to Thomas because they all got to see Jesus' wounds and they could put their fingers and hands and, and, you know, do all that stuff. And he didn't get to. So all he's asking is for equal treatment. But on the other hand, what Thomas is being asked to believe is exactly what you and I and everyone else in the history of Christianity has been asked to believe. And that is the eyewitness accounts of those first people, those first disciples. And they wrote about it and their lives were transformed and they were sure, they were convinced of what they saw, that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. He was really dead and he was really alive. Yeah, that's, and they were so, so uh, we have to talk about eyewitnesses and how does that work? And here's my question to you, just to, if you're a little bit of a Thomas, I got a question for you. Do you believe that George Washington was real and that he crossed the Delaware River on, I think it was Christmas Eve of 1770, whatever? What do you do? You believe that, right? Why do you believe that? You were not there. You weren't an eyewitness. You believe it because other people saw it and they were so convinced that it happened, they wrote it down and you read it somewhere in a history book. Or that Aaron Burr had a duel with Alexander Hamilton and guess who won? Come on, guys. Aaron Burr, right? Which is, there's a whole musical that comes out of that, right? Yeah, I won't. Yeah, I could sing the songs, but I won't. And so you have these uh, these events in history that you believe in that you were not eyewitnesses to. And uh, the Holocaust, 
is another twist on this because although there, are, there is a minority, uh, both historians and people who deny the Holocaust even happened. And there's so much evidence that it did happen. So you have things get in there, agendas get in there, whatever. But the point is that we all believe in a lot of things that others have seen and we come to believe in them too. How Thomas comes to faith. Let's just look at that and then we'll close. Thomas has a season of doubt and a season of doubt is not a bad thing. But to make that a lifelong preoccupation is not a good thing. But what does he do in his season of doubt? He stays close to those who have faith. And that pays off for him. He stays close and he stays honest. He doesn't pretend that he has faith when he doesn't. He asks the hard questions. He gets his conditions in there. I will believe when I see. And uh, the disciples, on their part, they don't give up on their friend. They wait him out because they believe in the risen Christ and that the risen Christ that they met will meet with Thomas and it pays off for them. We see that here in this account. I was uh, five years ago or so, uh, uh, we moved here in 2012 in that summer. Uh, I had a phone call from somebody who wanted to meet with me. He was somebody who grew up in this church. He was 20 years old and basically he told me on the phone that he no longer believed in his Sunday school faith, that he was now an atheist and uh, he wanted to, but he wanted to talk about it. And I, in that, my, this is my intuitive side, right? I, I have this, you know, whatever, not always right. But my intuitive side said, why does he want to talk about it with me? And so uh, I, I thought, of, well, actually, I told him, I said, you know, when I was 20 years old, I was an atheist too. And I think that probably didn't bode well for him. But it was, we ended up meeting at Starbucks down here. This is the same Starbucks right down the Pine Lake one. And I think it was like the day before uh, someone drove their car through the window. I was almost an eyewitness to that. I showed up later that day. Do you believe me? It happened. If, you were, if you've been around here, you'll remember the Starbucks that almost became a drive-through inadvertently, right? And uh, so that's where we met, like the next day after that event. I can, I can remember that. And we sat down and we talked about what it means to have doubts and what it means to have faith. And I sensed in him that he really wanted to believe, that he, this was a way of processing his doubts. And so we talked and... Uh, I got him to at least, I asked questions mostly, and to get him to doubt his doubts. Because what do you, I said, what do you believe? And he explained what he was. And I just asked questions, well, how does that work? And, uh, you know, so you can, do the, you can play the same game from either side. And what happens is that your, this faith that he had rejected, the Sunday school faith, can haunt you. What if it's true? You see, what, it's not, the doubter will say, well, what if it's not true? But there, what if it's true? What if it is true that what they saw that day, these eyewitnesses, what if it's true? And it haunts you. Those questions haunt you. What is, what's going to happen to you when you die? Will there be flowers in the church for you somewhere? What will your life mean when it's over? So I just kind of did that. And three years later, you know, waited and talked. We talked again. But three years later, the waiting paid off. And he, that, dar, that, that door that was ajar uh, opened up. And uh, he allowed Christ into his life. That's what it means to wait it out. And that happens to Thomas. And we see it here. Christ does show up. And uh, if I can read that, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, you know, he zeroes in, Jesus knows something. 
He says, Thomas, put your finger right here. Or put your, put your finger right here. And it, what's interesting is Thomas doesn't do it. At least he doesn't tell us that he does it, but Jesus invites him to because Jesus knows what he wants, what he needs to believe. And uh, Thomas just kind of falls apart, it seems like, and falls on his knees maybe and says, my Lord and my God. There's a turning point in the faith journey where you realize that you're not seeking God, but he's seeking you. And it's at that point that things really happen. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God, for a Jewish person to say my Lord and my God would be, uh, how would I say this? It breaks the Ten Commandments to say that of another human being. You don't say my God to anybody except God. And God alone, and God only. And this is amazing that a Jewish man would be saying this of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And then Thomas is so convinced, he goes to South India, the tradition tells us, and he then is a witness, an eyewitness to the people there. A church was formed there, and we know that just archaeologically speaking, the building, there's a building in South India that is the oldest church building in the world. We're going to be in Jerusalem, a group of us this week, and the oldest church building in Jerusalem, I think, is around 300 years old. This is from the first century in southern India. That's because Thomas had faith. My Lord and my God, he had to do something. You don't just do that. You don't say my Lord and my God and believe that without doing something, and he does. This melancholy introvert that needs all the evidence goes out and changes the world. So what about you? Uh, God, I believe, at least my experience in general, not always, but in general is that he doesn't ask us to take a leap of faith. He asks us to take steps of faith. A step is something we can all take. And if you're a person who's heavily Thomas, you know, Thomas, like he's my patron saint. I love the way he doubts. Well, here's the other thing. He asks hard questions. Ask the hard questions. That's a step of faith that you can take. It's actually a step of faith to ask those hard questions that are on your heart. And we're here as a church to help you figure it out. And we also believe that we can't convince you, only Christ can convince you. And that's a spiritually mediated process. You can take another step, and that is to let that door that is ajar, maybe you want to believe, but you just don't have the you haven't felt that conviction maybe until a story like this comes before you, you can take that step today. So consider that. Or if you have people in your life that you know and you're the eyewitness that can go to them and say, guess what God has done in my life? He has been so active in his love and power. (laughs) You can do that too, yeah. Next step, he's taking a next step right there. So I want you to, here's something that that maybe not all of us can do with conviction, but just to say those words that Thomas said, if you can say these from your heart, go ahead and say them. My Lord and my God, go ahead. My Lord and my God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth be more than the words of our mouth. May they also be the meditations of our hearts. May it be that which we believe in and put our trust in. Uh, Lord, as we see these flowers represented up front today, and we know that one day we'll probably be a flower somewhere, um, however that works out, we pray that those flowers would represent real faith in the resurrection, the power of God, the love of God in our lives. I pray that for everyone here, and it's the reason that we can have hope for today and hope for tomorrow. In Christ's name, amen.